You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Another world. Another time. In the age of wonder. There was once a dream. You could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper. And it would vanish. A battle between good and evil. You don't know the power of the dark side. Where shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? Try the local sewer. You know of the rebellion against the Empire? The Avengers, Earth's mightiest heroes. Peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. One of these days, I'm gonna have a stick of my own. I'm Groot. Welcome to the Neverland Podcast. The podcast for lovers of Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. Please welcome your host, Jeremy. I thought he'd be taller. Yeah, I can fly. All it takes is faith. Trust. Well, if it isn't the Star-Spangled Man with a plan, what is your plan today? Up to Neverland! Well, hey there! Grab your pixie out of your pocket, sprinkle some of that pixie dust around, get your heaviest thought, and fly away, not to Neverland, we're going to Marceline. We're at Toonfest because it's Toonfest time, and we've brought special guests with us. Hi there, this is Trenton Larkin. Hey everybody, this is Trenton Larkin from Who Did That Voice. And if you have not been listening, he's just got started, he's brand new, but already had a pretty good month. I have had a really good month. Uh, my last episode that just came out yesterday, which was Friday. Both of them. <laughs> yeah, both of them. There was a two-part episode for The Voice of Disneyland and his wife, The Voice of the California Adventure. Which was cool. I was actually listening to that one on the way here. Yeah. <laughs> so I do like the fact that you added in there to flip your tape over to side B to continue the show. I wanted to add a little something from my childhood because kids today don't know what it means to flip a tape over to side B. Right. <laughs> so I was laughing, trying not to wreck. <laughs> that threw me off. But we're standing out here. Well, okay, technically this is not actually Main Street. This is like Kansas Avenue or something like that. But this is the official Main Street USA. And this is your first time into Marceline altogether. It is. And it you've is, been here yeah. since, uh, what? Uh, about 9, 9.30, I think. You got a chance yeah. to kind of look around of a few things. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of really interesting historical significance that I will take you on a brief tour, and we'll talk about cool. some of these things. You're going to dig this. Cool. Oh, and here, of course, we stopped right near a placard here all about Main Street USA. And this is pretty much the way it was. Uh, you know, of course, in small towns, Main Street is where you went on Saturday night. And it's I don't know that they still hang out here on Saturday night. I'm sure they have other things to do in the modern age, but this was it. Uh, but, of course, as you've probably observed now, as much as the, at Disneyland, whatever, they'll tell you that the entire Main Street USA was based here, which has some truth to it. It doesn't look the same. But some of the buildings have had facelifts, and some of them have burned down. But it's what Disney remembered as right. a boy, so it may not have even been the true essence of what he saw, but what he imagined in his close. Okay. The surprise here, you might not know, is the artist, and I always forget the guy's name, that he had designed after he told him about his Main Street. Uh, the artist was from Fort Collins, Colorado, and the actual look of the buildings came from Fort Collins, Colorado, ah. because that's where the artist remembered it from, but the artist understood what Walt was going for. So this is what inspired Walt, and he did take, come and take a lot of photos, and you can see some of those photos when we get to the museum. Cool. But the actual look of it isn't quite this. But this is the inspiration. But there's a really cool kind of thing i got to show you that you guys probably walked past. I didn't know if you know there's some really cool stuff. We're going to walk over here towards the Uptown Theater. It's 
spanning the Disney and Geek Universe to bring you the best in comics, toys, movies, and entertainment. This is news from around Neverland. I'm going to cover news and stuff as we go. Uh, have you heard the, uh, the biggest thing about the composer change for Star Wars Rogue One? I have not. You haven't? I haven't. Uh, well, originally had Alexandre Duplat, I think I'm saying that right. He, uh, he did the, like, the last four Harry Potter films. Okay. Uh, he was doing the score for Rogue One, but they've done some reshoots. With the reshoots, apparently they needed to do something different, so they've got Michael Giacchino. Okay. Are you familiar with that name at all? I am not. The Incredibles, Jurassic World. Oh, I love The Incredibles. Yes. Absolutely amazing. Uh, nearly anything Disney has done lately that was live action, it's been Michael Giacchino. So it's not all that shocking. Yeah. But it's very, very exciting. Uh, there was another piece of news that I actually saw. I was trying to remember. Oh, yes, this. And speaking of seeing a Little Mermaid sign out here in front of the theater, uh, I think they're kind of cheated at this on the website I was getting this from. But uh, Chloe, oh, I can always forget her name, Chloe Moritz or something like that. She was cast to play the Little Mermaid in Universal's version of the Little Mermaid, which they actually put a picture of Ariel up on the website and like, no, this is not Disney's Little Mermaid. <laughs> but she has dropped out, which I'm thinking, yeah, good, because if anyone's going to make a live-action Little Mermaid, let's let Disney do it. Yeah. I don't know who in the world they would cast. But, uh, but we're standing out here. This is, of course, the Uptown Theater. Now, there, there's significance to this, and you might have already seen some of this. The Great Locomotive Chicks actually had its premiere here. Wow. Uh, and what's really cool, and you'll Tom get to Connery. see... Uh, well, not that one. No, this no, no. one... Uh, yeah, oh, I forgot the guy's name. Yeah, a uh, guy who played Davy Crockett. Fess oh, Parker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which they usually run this film over in the museum, too, if you've never seen it. I've never actually seen the entire thing. Okay. But there's a really great photo they have in the museum, which we'll get to see. When they debuted it, all the kids from the elementary school, which i got to make sure I show you that, too, they uh, were going to sing the Mickey Mouse Club song, but they had never seen it. It was not playing in Marceline, so they had to learn the song. They all went to the theater, and they sang They got up on stage, and they sung it to Walt. He came up on the stage, had to brush a little tear away, and he says, you, guys, you kids don't know how lucky you are to grow up in Marceline. He straightened himself up, the showman he always was, put one hand on his hip, the other hand pointed to the clock and said, it's time for the show. And they've snapped a photo of that exact moment of him pointing to the clock when they premiered the movie here. Well, there's a lot of cool shops, but we can do that later. Uh, other bit of interesting things that happened this week as we're walking this way. i got to take you to the post office because there's something cool about the post office, too. All right, y'all. One more time. It don't matter what you look like. It don't nobody going to sing with me. Okay. The Neverland Trailer Park. Did you see the trailer for Moana? For generations. This peaceful island has been home to our family. But beyond our reef, a great danger is coming. Legend tells of a hero who will journey to find the demigod Maui. And together, they will save us all. of the wind and sea i am hero a... of men what it's actually maui shapeshifter demigod of the wind and sea hero of men i interrupted from the top hero of men go 
I'm not going on a mission with some little girl. This is my canoe, and you will journey to different. Did not see that coming. The ocean is a friend of mine. First, we've got to go through a whole ocean of bad. <gasps> Kakamora. Kako, what? They're kind of cute. I got your back. It's Maui time. <laughs> really? Blow dart in my butt cheek. We're going to the realm of monsters. Don't worry, it's a lot farther down than it looks. No, I have. I, wait, Moana's the Hawaiian princess? Yes. I have seen it, yes. The yeah. brand new trailer finally went out. So, okay, we usually review trailers in Neverland. Overall, any uh, impressions that it gave you? Um, I think it's very uh, magical and, and whimsical. It's going to have like a real like snappy, fast-paced kind of magical presence, and I think it's going to be really fun. Yeah, it uh, seems very different. It seems like we're continuing with the idea of, you know, we're not going to have any romantic storylines in these current Disney films. Seems like we're taking that out. Cause I, and the heroine is kind of like brave. She's kind yeah. of a, her, she's her own woman. She's out to make a name for herself, and the demigod helps her do that. Right. It's going to be more, it looks like a buddy flick. Yeah. Yeah, so, definitely. I think uh, The Rock very well cast. I've been enjoying it. Uh, I've, I know some people have complained. They say the size of the character is kind of like racist to Polynesians or something. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry, have you looked in the mirror? Very much. And there's nothing wrong with being big and muscular and whatever. That's right. You know, we have no problems with that. We love you that way. But yeah, people were getting up in arms when they saw the character. And I'm thinking, you know what? Just go see the movie and enjoy it and realize he's a cartoon character. So, yeah, I'm very excited about this. Looks very fun, very much adventurous. And I'm very interested to find out how Moana can actually control the water because they haven't got into that. They're keeping that a surprise for us. Very exciting. Okay, well, we're almost to the post office, which I, I think, did they name the post office after Walt Disney? I'll have to get up there when we find out. <laughs> oh, yes, and uh, if you guys are, whenever you're ready for lunch, Ma Vicks is the place to eat. It is fantastic. I eat there every year. There used to be a little Mexican restaurant across the street from it, but Malvik's kind of drove it out of business because it was better. No, that's not it yet. <laughs> that's part of, uh, there was a hotel here. Oh, which y'all heard, I'm sure, the train, there was a uh, Amtrak that went down. We've seen it twice. Seen it twice. Get used wow, to that. It'll be going all the time. Mickey. Oh, that's where they put it. That used to be in the museum. That's huge. Uh, but they, they've remodeled the museum uh, since last year. Wow, <laughs> it's a conductor Mickey. Yeah. And the funny thing it's is, in the, the museum, they tell you not to take any photographs. People would always stop and take pictures of this. They'd have their kids with it and stuff. I'm like, yeah, if you guys ever get caught doing this. I don't think they'd throw anybody out of the museum, though. Well, I don't think. Here we go. The official post office. Now, uh, well, I could only remember the year, but they actually dedicated the official Walt Disney stamp here at this post office. Wow. And you should see the interior of this post office. Oh, and you guess what? You will, because I'll take you and show you all the full cool stuff that I've seen. 
It'll take us a little bit to and walk this over to the original it. post office. Uh, yeah, I think it's had some facelifts over the time, but uh, you know, most of these buildings are pretty much the way they were. That's uh, and you'll get to see some of the photos inside the museum, like when Walton Roy had come back. There was actually multiple times they came back here. Uh, it'll be easier if we. Oh, here we go. Remember, stamp honoring Walt Disney's Marshling's favorite son, issued from this post office in 1968, September wow. 11th. So actually, not that long ago. Wow, September the 11th. Wow, that's crazy. See, I'm not even going to think about how many years that is. I'm not good at math. 98, 98, 18. So we're at 50, 58 years. 58 years. 58 years this September the 11th it was commemorated. Awesome. I know if somebody has that, I bet it's a collector's item. Yeah. I wasn't I around in 1968. <laughs> yeah, because that would have been about three years after he passed. But, oh, I've got to show you the inside. It's very cool. Oh, and uh, a little trick souvenir you can get in here. Costs you uh, pretty much the cost of a stamp. You can get a uh, so when they bring mail in, they have you know you know how a post office will you know mark your stamp. They have a very special stamp here that's of the dreaming tree that you can get. But uh, the fun part about this is you've got all sorts of actual what were Disney work commemorative stamps throughout the years, and here is of course the Walt Disney one from 1968. Wow, it's very very cool. And those mailboxes are like old <laughs> Yeah. Those are original like doors. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. I'm sure they've updated the locks since then. Oh, though. Sure, yeah. yeah. From the look of things. But these doors are still very yeah. old. Have the old Federal Eagle on there. That it's is very awesome. awesome. Mm-hmm. Because they don't do stuff like that much anymore. I, I don't remember seeing these pictures over here last time I was in here. Because I've taken photos of actually of all the... You know Disney character stamps, but look in there. In honor of Walt Disney. Yeah, by an act of Congress. They didn't have it printed on the outside, though. I, but I knew they had done some about it. Yeah, back in 2003. But you know, there's Roy O. Disney. I wonder what year this was. 19. Oh, this is for the commemoration 1968 Stamp Day Parade. Oh, that's cool. Well, how cool. Out. Yeah. And by the way, I'm here with my wife today as well, Jessica. Yep. She's being real quiet. <laughs> Just smiling like, okay, who is this guy? Trent, you didn't tell me some weirdo was going to follow us around with a microphone. <laughs> no, he did not tell me that. <laughs> I didn't want you to be uh, surprised. I, didn't want, I wanted you to be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as I saw the microphone, I was like... <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love the way that uh, people oh, prepare their wives for stuff. That's right. My wife gets drug around to things all the time doing this. Yeah, they just have a complete little carnival. They have a, like a cow milking contest without being actual cows. They used to have a thing in Dallas called the Cow Milking Day, and you could churn <laughs> butter, milk the cows. They had like, people playing spoons. I oh wish they goodness. would bring it back. I think it was actually in Fort Worth, but it was so fun. Oh my goodness! Kids about how to milk cows. Kids today don't know how to milk cows unless you're from the country. So. Yeah, well, I guess you could learn here. <laughs> Uh, this building over here is the community center where the, the cartoonists that are guests will have their symposiums. There's also an art gallery if you all want to check it out at some point. It's usually, and that's usually how I find out who the artists are because I don't always know them by name. Which if you go in there and see some of their artwork. work and be like, oh, I know you. Like, oh, that person. Because they've had... Uh, I'm bad with names. They've had a storybook artist that worked on Phineas and Ferb. Came oh, and cool. showed us some original storyboards from Phineas and Ferb. So and uh, then showed the file scene how it eventually got worked around. And apparently did most of their writing by storyboarding yeah they didn't just text it they big on storyboarding i remember that from the research i've been looking through my life it's just kind of weird they write the shows as a storyboard just completely there's no text they just come up with all the time yeah 
they'd have an idea. Well, they'd write what the dialogue was going to be underneath and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, this one episode got really chopped down because they were doing a complete parody of uh, James Bond a little bit with uh, Agent P, and they crossed the line a little too far, and <laughs> United Artists said, knock it off. So they were trying to get approval before they did it because they, they, they even had the car. Agent P drive the, <laughs> the old, uh, oh, and, yep, the name of the James Bond's car just went right out of my head. Aston Martin, that's what yeah, it is. Aston Martin, yeah. Yes. Uh, oh, but I was t- talking about the significance of these trains going by. These are still the same tracks because, you know, Walt was huge on trains. He used to come over here where the museum is now, there's, and you can see the old train station. He'd go to the train station and just him and his little sister watch trains go by all day. And the old train station is now the museum, right? Yeah. It's, well, they, they, there's an actual, I think, a tool shed area for the train that still has the stuff about the trains. But, yeah, it was around this station where the That's museum awesome. now is. You're going to love the museum. And it's different every year. You get addicted to coming to this place. I've been coming here for the past seven years now. <laughs> wow. And there's always something new to see. Uh, but, yeah, here's where the symposium will be later. Uh, if you all want to come in and look in the artwork now, or we can keep looking around town, it's up to you. I think we were wanting to go see the museum. You want to do the museum next? We can do the museum next. I'll turn this back on when we get to the museum. The number that is, that is 170. If you divide 24 hours by 70, you get about every 15 minutes. That's a lot of trains. Yesterday, there were a lot of trains. Sometimes when they're working on the tracks, you won't hear as many because they slow them down. And then on weekends, when they're not working on the tracks, we have this thing like Okay, well, I'm going to see if there's anyone else. If not, we're going to start. Yeah, I think they. I think that was the one. Oh, she'll probably say what uh, like when, when, when he wanted to do a, a, a ski park. Uh, I believe that's where this one came from. Oh wow! Because he didn't get it. coming in to do the tour and us doing the tour in here, the phone ringing and selling things out of the gift shop. With 12,000 guests last year, it just became crazy. So they made a new opening, which was a baggage room door. That room we were in, the store was the baggage room. And we made that new opening this winter. So we have kind of a holding area. And then this kind of has become a sanctuary. We can tell our story with no interruptions. Okay, well, I'm going to start. Uh, Marceline was founded in 1888 by the Santa Fe Railroad, and there was no town here, just farmland, and the reason they needed a town is because we were an hour and a half out of Kansas City. They needed water and coal. They put a place on the map. They said that's going to be Marceline. They built the town, and people came to work on the train in the town. So uh, the Santa Fe, of course, was, we were a division point, and the original depot was built here in 19, excuse me, 1888. This building was built in 1913, so it's been here 103 years. And uh, we were a division point, hence the beautiful building. Two-story, Marceline on four sides, because most country little towns don't have a depot like this. We operated for about 100 years until the late 1980s, and then the big change in the railroad, of course, coal and water had gone a long time ago, was that they took the cabooses off. And so we no longer needed crew changes here. They closed up the depot. Our railroaders moved to Fort Madison, Iowa, or Kansas City, Missouri. We lost a little population, and this building just sat. 
Uh, it became, uh, it had been used hard, it wasn't vandalized or anything, but it's just sitting. The next thing we hear is the San Pedro was going to tear it down because of liability. Four families stepped forward, purchased the building with the hopes of having a Walt Disney Railroad Museum. We have been open since 2001, and every year we just got bigger and better, and I'm, you know, we're constantly evolving. The whole building is full now, but when we opened, it was just this Marceline store. So that's how we've evolved. The clock was the official Santa Fe clock. It was in the Zerker building downtown, and I'm sure you've been downtown since you've been to the parade. And when Walt Disney made Disneyland in California, he patterned Main Street USA after our Main Street. And we looked at our Main Street, and we looked at the Zerker building, particularly where Mr. Zerker had his Santa Fe clock, and we said, well, that's Coke Corner. But why is it Coke Corner? Why didn't Walt make it a jewelry store in Disneyland like it was in Marceline? And honestly, we did not know the story, the mystery, until about 10 years ago when this part of the building, which is not there now, burnt down, of course. It burnt down. And when the rubble was taken down, the plaster came off the adjoining building. There is a Coke mural from the turn of the century. We look at it. It's fading fast. We tried to get Coke to do something about it. They weren't interested because they had murals all over the country. But we realized Walt, as a little farm boy coming in from the north edge of town, saw that beautiful Coke mural. Coke Corner made perfect sense. Today, you get to see it just like Walt Disney did because last winter we partnered with Coke, just like the parks are partnered with Coke. And they said, if you'll tuck point the side of the building, we'll repaint the mural. So they repainted the Coke mural, and you're getting to see what Walt Disney had. No wonder he was inspired. So that's the first little mystery. So the cool, uh huh, on Main Street. The cool little thing about it is the banner advertising at the top is for a funeral home. Walt Disney and Roy. Roy was the banker from the time he was little. He was always trying to make money for the two. He got him a job cleaning the horse-drawn horse -drawn hearse for that funeral home. And the joke was, Roy said later that Walt didn't work. He did the work because Walt just laid in the back and played dead. <laughs> so what uh, you have in all the parks is a haunted house and there's always a horse-drawn hearse in the queue line, which is a nod of the head to that experience. So when you see that banner advertising at the top of Coke, that is the funeral home that they got a job for, but Walt didn't work. <laughs> okay, then we'll start this way and I'll have you follow me around the room and I'm changing gears. Mm -hmm. I told you about the Joey and I told you about the town. Walt Disney was born in this house in Chicago, Illinois in 1906. He was the fourth of five children to Elias and Flora Disney. Uh, the oldest children were Herbert and Raymond, and then there was Roy, Walt's business partner, all those many years, and he was eight years older than Walt, and then there was Walt, and then there was little sister Bruce. So four boys and a little girl. The problem with uh, Mr. Disney is he did things for about five years and for one reason or the other decided to change his life. I like to think maybe he was a dreamer like Walt, but just didn't make it always happen as successfully. And what he was doing in Chicago was building houses. And the reason they left Chicago was the older boys, Herbert and Raymond, were teenagers. They had some friends who had gotten into real trouble with the law and Mr. Disney was not going to have that. So he said to his brother, Robert, who was called Gold Bud Disney because everything he did turned to gold. He says, I gotta get these kids out of Chicago. You got any ideas? And Robert speculated on land ahead of the railroad and he says, I got a 45 acre farm in Marceline, Missouri. I'll sell you a farm. You can be a farmer, just like that. So Elias packed up the family in Chicago, got on that train. It was Walt Disney's first train ride. Came here to Marceline in the spring of 1906. Walt Disney was born in 1901. In the spring of 1906, Walt Disney was four years old because his birthday's in December, and he came here and he was thrilled. 
The older boys weren't thrilled. They loved Chicago, they loved the excitement, they loved their life, they loved their friends. So they came because Dad bribed them. And Dad said, we're going to go that first year, we're going to farm, and at the end of the year, I'll give you a share of the profits. He bribed them. And at the end of that first tough year, and that's what this cabinet's all about, is all the local farmers helping Mr. Disney, because he was not a farmer. And at the end of that year, Mr. Disney uh, was approached by the boys, and they said, we want our share of the profit. And Dad did something kind of wrong. He went back on his promise. And the boys, he said, no, boys, that's going to go for your room and board. So the boys, in the middle of the night, don't do it, hopped on a freight train and went back to Chicago. And the family's fractured for a while. So there was changes in the family. This was the house they moved into, a much later picture of Flora, Mama, and Walt, and little sister Ruth and Main Street at the turn of the century. Here's a car and a horse and buggy at the same time. It's an exciting time everywhere, particularly in Marceline, because Walt had some freedom. He's not cooped up like he was in the city. So uh, the older boys went back to Chicago. The family was fractured for a while, and here's what happened. Roy was 12. He had to help with the farm work. Walt Disney's too small. So he gets assigned a very special job, and that is a job he takes seriously his whole life, and that job is take care of little sister Ruth. Keep her safe, keep her entertained, keep her out of trouble. He and Roy always took care of Ruth. She married and had a son, but when you go back into Roy and Ruth's room, you will see letters where Walt and Roy sent her money and, and kept her in anything she needed, she pretty much got. She's the little sister. So what happened with Walt was he was thrilled. He wasn't like the big boys. He was thrilled to be here. There's green grass, there's trees, there was a railroad. His uncle was an engineer. There were coal mines. He had his first movie here, his first school, his first live presentation, which was Peter Pan. He saw his first circus. He said more things of importance happened in Marceline than anywhere else. And he said he remembered nothing in Chicago, but he remembered everything in Marceline. And by the time we get to this counter, five years later, Walt Disney's childhood will be over. So that's why I think he worked so hard in all the parks and movies, is to make everybody's childhood wonderful, because his was so short. So he's four years old when he comes here. He has the freedom of the country. And what he does to entertain Ruth is he tells her stories and draws her pictures. There's no TV and computers in those days. And he said after their chores were done, he would take her to the dreaming tree. They would lay down in the grass, and he would tell her a story and draw her pictures. Ruth, who lived to be quite old, said, Walt didn't tell a story. Walt told a great story. And he didn't just draw a picture. If the story was about a grasshopper, if he had enough paper, he'd draw that grasshopper two or three times and then give it a flip. He was even beginning to think of animation. Well, this picture is in this place because in 1956, Roy and Walt came home. He wanted to find his dreaming tree. Well, no one in Marceline, Missouri knew anything about dreaming tree because that's Walt's special place. So that's kind of the second mystery. We didn't know about Coke Corner. We didn't know this was the dream injury. He was surprised in 1956 it was still alive. So uh, anytime he came home, he wanted time underneath that. The Imagineers came in the uh, 90s before they built Animal Kingdom to study our tree before they did the Tree of Life, even though there's beautiful trees everywhere, because they wanted to get a feel for Walt's tree. Well, unfortunately, it was struck by lightning. We can't control nature. Uh, about 10 years ago, but it stood till last summer, this massive trunk. In the summer, the vines would grow up, and there were little trees around, and it didn't look too bad. And then one day, one of our guests, like you, came back to the museum after they had the map, and they said, we can't find the dreaming tree. And it had fallen over in the night, because you do see it's on a little creek. We had a lot of rain, and it had basically just rotted over those 10 years. His grandson, when it was struck by lightning, knew it was in bad shape and planted a descendant tree. So that's what you're going to see. The location of the dreaming tree, right beside it, is the son of dreaming tree. 
along the path, which is nice and mowed, and the family wants you to go there. You'll find signs that tell the story. You'll cross a little bridge so you don't have to hop that creek, and you'll go to the recreation of the barn, which was built in 2001. The original barn, of course, burned many farmers after the Disney, but that's the barn where Walt had his circus. Pause for the engines. Okay, and the story on the circus was, I told you he had his first circus here. Well, Walt Disney is an entrepreneur, and he's a businessman, and he decided he had some animals, he had a barn, he's going to put on a circus. So he got it all together, he charged the neighborhood kids a dime, which was a lot of money in those and he put on his circus, and at the end of the circus, the neighborhood children said, well, that wasn't much of a circus, we want our money back. And he said, no, I gave you a show, I like that money in my pocket. Well, we boys know what happened. Mama overheard the conversation, and she came out with her hand on her hip and said, Walter, you will provide a good service or you'll give their money back. We like to think that's why you get your money's worth when you go to the parks. The other lesson Walt learned in Marceline is that some people supported his art and some people didn't. He was always drawn and fidgeting, and his mom and Aunt Margaret encouraged him, and Doc Sherwood, the local country doctor, commissioned him to draw a picture of his horse Rupert and paid him a quarter, and that was a lot of money. And he said later as an adult that was one of the greatest prizes of his life because as a young child, an adult was interested enough to pay for his work. So uh, the one who did not encourage him, unfortunately, was his dad. His dad many times had a strong, he had a strong work ethic, and he many times said, Walt, put down that pen and paper, and never make a living drawing pictures. Of course, Mr. Disney lived long enough to know Walt was a great success. So those are some lessons Walt here had here, and he had his paradise. And then his paradise soon ended, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But this is Walt Disney in his first school, and Mom and Dad made another mistake. All parents try the best, but we're not perfect. And remember his job, he's the babysitter. So Walt Disney does not go to school to Ruth goes to school. He's two years older than, every mother says that. Hmm. He's two years older than all the other children. He's had two years more freedom, and so that desk doesn't fit Walt very well. But this is Walt in elementary, this is where he went to school at Park School. It's where our grocery store is now, it's long gone. Well, what happened is Mr. Disney became ill. You can't farm when you're ill. What happened is he did exactly what he'd done when he come from uh, Chicago and sold everything, which broke their hearts, but most of all, selling their animals was heartbreaking for these little boys. Uh, because on a farm, your animals are your pets. Uh, Mrs. Disney put her foot down and said, we're moving into town for a month. We are going to finish the school year. And they moved into town for a month, finished the school year, and then they got on the train and went to Walt Disney, excuse me, went to Kansas City, and Walt Disney's paradise was lost. So what happened is he got a newspaper round. I will have my boys here because they're about the age Walt would have been when he moved. And Walt Disney's dad took the farm money. He took the construction money, bought a farm. They took the farm money and he bought, come here, both of you. And he bought a Kansas City Star paper wrapped. This is 30 pounds of papers. And if you saw Saving Mr. Banks with Tom Hanks last year, there's a reference to it. This is 30 pounds of papers. Pick that up easily. And Walt Disney delivered 30 pounds of paper, so did Roy, every morning and every night to earn the living for the family. You drive. And by the time he got to school, do you think he was really excited about reading and writing and arithmetic? No, he was tired. So Walt's years in school were kind of hard because he was not making pop money or movie money. He was making grocery money and house money for the family. So his childhood was pretty much over. So what happens next is Roy's eight years older. He does that work too, but then he grows up joining the Navy and goes to World War I. Well, he comes home after his first leave with his spiffy-looking uniform on, and Walt Disney says, we're going to pick it out. 
So he lies about his age, he puts on his dad's jacket and tries to enlist. They're not buying it. They know he's a scrawny kid. So he goes home and in the meantime finds out that the American Red Cross is taking 16-year-olds. He talks mom and dad into signing for him. They sign. The American Red Cross takes Walt Disney, sends him to France, and teaches him to drive a canvas-covered ambulance. There's a reference to that in Saving Mr. Banks. He's over there. He's drawing pictures on the helmets for a little money. He's drawing pictures on the canvas cover of the ambulance for a little money. And one of the other ambulance drivers says, I want pictures on my ambulance. And Walt Disney says, my art isn't for free. What do you have to trade? And one of the trades is a pack of cigarettes. Well, what happens next is Walt Disney serves his time over there, gets a little coin in his pocket from those helmets, and he realizes the main thing is that his art makes people happy, even in bad times. He knows he's on to something. As a little side note, if you're traveling, he meets General John J. Pershing, the general of the armies, because General Pershing is over there at the end of World War I. His whole family had uh, been killed in a fire at the Presidio in San Francisco. And one son survives. They send him to General Pershing, and Walt Disney's kind of a little chauffeur, getting the son where he needs to be with Mr. Pershing, with General Pershing, excuse me. And um, what a conversation they would have had when General Pershing realizes that this 16-year-old country boy is a farm boy from Missouri, just like he was, because he grew up 10 miles down the road. So that's a little side note. So what happens is Walt serves his time in France, comes back to Kansas City, starts Lathabram Studios, and has some success. It's advertising, cartooning, but Roy, who is a banker, his brother, and Uncle Robert, <coughs> excuse me, are in California. And I said, well, if you're going to be successful, this you got to come to California. So in 1923, he goes to California with a cardboard suitcase of $40. Can't find a job in cartooning, so he and Roy start Disney Brothers Studios in Uncle Robert's garage. Well, he has to hire some people because he's got some ideas. He hires some people. One of them is a pretty little girl named Lillian. He falls in love with her eventually. They marry and they have two little girls named Sharon and Diane. He draws his first successful character. It's Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Well, the laws are different in those days, and the distributor really owns the cartoon, not the artist. And Oswald is stolen from Walt Disney. He and Lillian are on a train in New York coming back to California after negotiations, heartbroken because Oswald's gone. And Oswald was very successful opposite Felix the Cat. And so Walt says, you know, what are we going to do? Well, they pick themselves up, and Walt says, I'm going to rework Oswald into a mouse. And I'm going to name it Mortimer. Well, Lillian had better sense. And she says, Mickey's a much more friendly name. So she said, let's call him Mickey. And Mickey Mouse was born in 1928. Well, what happened was we did Mickey Mouse shorts. We added sound for Steamboat Willie with that synchronization that's just revolutionary. And Walt Disney's name is out there. He remakes the fairy tale, Snow White and Seven Dwarfs, Cinderella in the 30s, because there's no copyright on fairy tales. Now, Walt didn't have a lot of formal education, but no one would ever accuse Walt Disney of not being a sharp guy. So he remade those cart uh, cartoons, he made the cartoons, he made the fairy tales, and things are flipping for the Disneys in the 20s and the 30s and the early 40s. Then what happens is there's a strike at Disney, things slow down, World War II happens, his artists go off to fight, and he has some time to think. He talks to Lillian and he says, you know what I want to do next? I've got cartoons, I've got movies, you know what I want to do? I want to build a park. She looks at him again and says, Walt, you're nuts. You take the girls out on Saturdays for Daddy-Daughter Day, and when you come back, you always tell me four things. You sat on a dirty bench, there was trash all around, you watched the girls ride, and it wasn't any fun. Why would you want to build a park? And he said, if I build a park, it won't be like that. 
What if you've been to any of the parks, mm -hmm. the one in yeah, Disneyland in California, the four in Florida, you know the Disney concept is you ride with your children, you don't watch them ride, they're immaculate, they're efficient, they're well run. So he comes back to Marceline in 1946 with a funny looking camera on Main Street. That's what Main Street looks like. It's the Zerker building right there and he's recording it to refresh his childhood memory. Because his idea is you walk down his Main Street before you go to Tomorrowland, Frontierland, Adventureland, and all the ones. So he builds that park in 1955 in Anaheim, California. It's a great success. And in Ruth's room, Ruth didn't want to come down from Portland, Oregon for the opening. She's shy, doesn't like the crowds. He sends her money for a TV. We have Ruth's TV. On it is playing the black and white. Kids, the recent in black and white in 1955, there was no color TV. They're playing the opening of Disneyland in black and white. And the MCs are Art Linkletter. Some of you people know who that is. Bob Cummings. I think that everybody knows the third guy that was the MC, and that was Ronald Reagan. We're opening Disneyland. It's a huge success. Well, what happened in the 50s besides Disneyland? We have movies and cartoons. We have Disneyland as Walt Disney got involved with this thing called television. He talked ABC into putting on his program. ABC basically paid for Disneyland. Eventually, it became the Mickey Mouse Club. There's merchandise everywhere. We come home from school to watch the Mickey Mouse Club. So we have TV, we have the park, and we have the movies and cartoons. And Walt Disney's got a tripod of entertainment that is everywhere. Disney is a household name. Well, in 1956, we had never lost track of Walt, but we did something kind of revolutionary in this little town, and we passed a city bond to build a swimming pool, the first one around. Marceline's always been kind of progressive. Maybe we'll give a nod of the hat to the railroad for that. We passed a, a bond to build a swimming pool. The city council said, well, who are we going to name it after? And the city council said, well, Walt Disney is just everything. I wonder if he'd let us name it after him. Well, he said, yes, he would, and he was thrilled. He says, are you having a dedication? Because Walt Disney liked dedications. He says, we're coming home. When he meant we're coming home, Walt and Lily and Roy Edmund are coming home. Wonderful. Here's our dilemma. We only have one hotel in town. It's the railroad hotel. It is not pretty. It is not air conditioned. These people are rich and they're from California. What are we going to do? Well, we have a young family who's moved into town, Rush and Inez Johnson, that you just met at the beginning of the tour. They have moved into town off the farm. They built a central air conditioned home in 1956. Very progressive. They had two little children, new furniture in the children's room in the city council, because Rush is a member. He says, Rush, could they stay with you? You've got an air-conditioned home, the only one in town. He said, yes. Was the best thing that ever happened to us? Because that human bond was connected where if they'd stayed in a hotel, it wouldn't have happened. And even though Rush was a young man, while Disney's 55, more of a father-son age difference, they're kind of the same kind of person. And they clicked, and so they became friends and Rush became the liaison between the city of Marceline and Walt Disney. Well, they come to town. Inez looks at her furniture, the kids' furniture's new. She looks at the rest of her furniture and thinks, oh my gosh, how can I have the Disneys? The wives are coming. So she expresses that to the neighborhood ladies, and they said, don't worry, I've got a new living room outfit you can borrow. I've got a new dining room outfit you can borrow. So she borrowed furniture from the neighbors, and she said it wasn't necessary at all. But for three days, she had new borrowed furniture. She had the Disney's as house guests and as chef at the Santa Fe, off the Santa Fe that the city hired. And she said, we looked really good. Then the Disney's went home, the chef went home, and the furniture went home, and we're back to normal. Yeah. So we dedicated the pool. We crowned the queen. That's Kay, the Johnson's little daughter. She's about eight there. She had met Walt Disney at that door. Knowing he's staying at her house, it pulled on his jacket and said, Mr. Disney, Mr. Disney, what room are you going to stay in? And he says, well, I've never been to your house. What do you think? She said, well, we're painted pink. She's our executive director. It's been her life's mission to tell our Marceline story. 
He said, come up on stage and help me crown the queen. Autographs were freely given. Highway Patrol was here. We said, I'm in my hometown. Plus, it was 1956. So people got autographs because all of a sudden there's Walt Disney, no big entourage around him. He wanted to go fishing in Yellow Creek as he had as a child, and even though that looks like bait, that's what he caught. But by the time he got back to town, he's a walker because Walt Disney is a storyteller. He wanted to drive a team of Missouri mules. He'd been too small as a child. There's Roy and a friend of their father's and Walt, and they're pretty happy even though these guys own Disneyland. If you haven't been down Main Street, when you go down Main Street, you'll see the theater, of Town Theater Marquee. It's no longer used as a theater, but it was the site of two movie premieres. One was in 1956 that Walt brought as our gift, and one was in 1998, The Spirit of Mickey, and it's upstairs, uh, a composite about Mickey cartoons. And um, we didn't have red carpet and sequin dresses, but we had two movie premieres in Marceline. That's Walt in the middle, Roy on this side, the mayor at that time. Of course, we had a parade, and it went down the street and back up, just like it did today. We always have done that. Well, what happened was, uh, we all watched the movie, The Great Locomotive Chase. It's Fess Parker, David Crockett, Daniel Boone was the star, good looking guy. It was free of charge, they played it all day long. This is the children's matinee, I think you can tell from the heads. And my sister and I are sitting about right there, we're not in that shot, but before we could watch the movie, we had to sing to walk. Problem was, I lived on a farm, but the town kids didn't even have TV. They had TV maybe, we didn't have TV. But ABC wasn't broadcast here. We didn't get the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. So they taught us the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse song. We sang it to Walt. He said something to the effect, if your children are lucky to live in my hometown, some of my best memories are here. And then we got to watch the movie. What he's doing in that shot is pointing to the clock after we had sang and he said his few little words and saying, on with the show, because he's a showman. So we got to watch the movie. Well, what happened is Walt had his own personal agenda. There were luncheons and dinners and dedications, but he wanted to see the Dreaming Tree. You know that story. And the next thing he wanted to do was go to park school and find his desk. And Inez said she looked at her watch and she thought, oh gosh, we've got to be here. How are we ever going to find that desk in that old hot school on the 4th of July? Well, there's the third mystery. First one was Coke Corner. Second one was Dreaming Tree. The third one was... Walt knew he'd written his initials on his desk. He knew he got in a lot of trouble for it. He thought he could find it, but he guessed it was okay now. He found his desk, he looked at the school, and he said, the school's not going to be here much longer. There's two at once. You guys win a prize. <laughs> uh, he said, the school's not going to be there much longer. When they tear the school down, save the cornerstone, which is upstairs in our park school room, and save my desk, because I have plans for Marceline. And everybody's eyes, ears, and eyes perked up. And in the evening, he said to Rush, he said, Rush Johnson, he said, I've fallen in love with the farm again buy it and I'll buy it from you. So eventually Rush Johnson bought the 45 acre farm. Walt Disney bought 200 acres around it because he didn't want to be boxed in like he had at Anaheim and he simply called his Marceline project the Marceline project. It was going to be a living history farm. We don't have amusement park weather. So he was buying land. I just said he would stay with them when he came to close, always coming in on the train and it was okay by then because she had her own furniture. She didn't have to keep borrowing. So Walt Disney had plans for Marceline, and we were excited. Well, before I leave the desk, the desk isn't ours. It belongs to Walt Disney Elementary School. It's school property, but we're a small town, and you know how small towns work. If you don't, you're getting the gist of it. They loan it to us uh, from April through the end of October when we close. We'll carefully lift it out of that case, take it over two blocks to Walt Disney Elementary School, put it in their glass case, and the children of Marceline have walked by Walt's desk since 1960. Well, true to his 
you know, proposal, we did, the school had to go, we built a new one, guess who we're gonna name it after? Walt Disney, Walt Disney Elementary School. Walt Disney came home for the dedication because Walt Disney liked dedications. He gave us a whole bunch of gifts. One of them is very prominent, the flagpole of Mr. Johnson standing by when you drive down there. The plaque that's behind his head says uh, something to the effect used at Squaw Valley Olympics with the Olympic rings on it. 1960, Walt Disney Director of Pageantry. He got us an Olympic flagpole. He got us eight units of playground equipment. It's the 60s. The slides had covered wagons on them. They wore out. The encyclopedia and AV equipment wore out. And the two things that have remained are the flagpole and these one-of-a-kind murals that were designed by Bob Moore in the gymnasium and above the desk in the foyer. Bob Moore was one of Walt's favorite artists. He also was involved in making the Walt Disney stamp, which was issued at our post office in 1968. Our post office is the only federal building named after Walt Disney, and it's well worth the stop. Go in the lobby. The lobby's never closed to see the stamp day pictures. The whole family came here because Lillian said it would, should be here. He would want it here. So the other big towns, they just lost out to Little Mars Lane. Well, what happened next is, um, if you know anything about Walt Disney, I have a little piece to add. He's not going to give the school a flagpole and not give them flags, because Walt Disney is a detailed person. He gave the school the Disneyland Sleeping Beauty Castle flag on this side and the orange Mickey on the other. The uh, flag flew for several years and then they got frail and they just folded them up in a Walmart sack in a desk drawer. And when we asked them to display them, they gave us the flag so we could map them and keep them so that our guests could see them. So we don't have to return the flags every fall like we do the desks. They are ours. So that was a wonderful gift from our elementary school to the museum so you could see them. Uh, you've seen the Sleeping Beauty Castle logo, but you've never seen an orange Mickey. There's two of them. It was Walt's personal flag. He flew it above his apartment fire station in Disneyland, and he was there. He wanted the cast members to know he was there. And anyone that works for Disney, it doesn't matter if you park a car or you sell an ice cream cone or you're a bigwig, you're a cast member because going to the parks is a production. So uh, we got an orange Mickey in Marceline. He wanted it to fly in Marceline. He wanted it to fly on Main Street USA in Disneyland. And that's significance. But most of you will say, well, why orange? Mickey isn't orange. Mickey's black, white, red, and yellow. I've asked kids before when I've had tours, and some little girl one day said, oh, it had to be Walt's favorite color. Just had to be. Another little kid said they learned in art that red and yellow make orange. I thought, well, that's a good answer. The best answer I got was a little boy from Los Angeles. He put his hand on his hip and looked at me like I didn't have a brain one, and he says, well, it's orange because it's Orange County. Oh, we have no idea why it's orange. Maybe it's Walt's favorite color. Maybe there's some significance, but it's orange. They're one of a kind, really two of a kind. And I'm gonna just stand here to tell you the rest of our story, and then you can look in there. The last part of our story, Walt retired this ride, the Vigitotopia, from Disneyland. It's the only ride that's ever been moved. A lot of rides have been retired. He asked Rush if we'd like it for Marceline. He said, of course we would. He said, Walt said, I'll send engineers to build the track and the tunnel. In the summer of 1966, we dedicated the Midget Autopia out by the pool that Walt had dedicated the year before. Walt's coming home because he likes dedications. But that summer, he's ill. He's not feeling very well. He says, go ahead with the dedication without me. And we did. It was a little bit more subdued. And then by December 15th, 1966, Walt Disney dies. He's 65 years old and 10 days old. And he has had Roy come out of retirement to finish that swamp land in Florida. Roy calls Rush up and says, I can't finish the Marceline project. I have everything on my plate that I can handle. Rush and Inez buy back the farm, the Disney farm. The rest of the 200 acres go back to local farmers and our Marceline project is done. 
And just as a side note before I finish this, when you go upstairs and see the Marceline Project, the illustration on the left of the Marceline Project drawing is Walt's drawing. It was on his desk when he died. The rough preliminary idea for the Marceline Project. Well, not much happened in Marceline. We were sad. Life went on. And then someone decided, well, we could have the spirit of Nikki Premier, and the corporation was here, and it was a great thing. And then we saved this building, we got these two rooms done, and then along the way someone said, well, you know, Walt will be 100 years old in 2001, we'll have a birthday party. So we planned a birthday party a couple years in advance, the corporation was involved, the real Mickey and Minnie came in on the train, we rebuilt the circus barn at the farm using Walt Disney's plans, because he built it in California for memory, for his trains. We had all these wonderful venues. It was the third weekend of September, because you can't have an outdoor party in Missouri in December. And September 11th happened first. No planes were flying. Everybody says you're going to have to cancel. You know, but grandkids who were coming said you can't cancel. Grandpa never quit. We're coming home. We had our party. It was a little subdued. 35,000 people came to town. We had our party. But the grandchildren got the story you just got in these two rooms, and they said we want to help. So they gave us private Disney stock to help us slick up this building and get it in wonderful shape. And the last gift we got, or the other gift, was uh, Ruth wanted all of her things to come here too. Her one son honored his mother's wishes. Kay went to Portland, Oregon with some empty suitcases, knowing there'd be some pictures and documents, and came home with a U-Haul truck. And that's the document you're going to see. Ruth was the only girl, she was the youngest, and she was a savior. So that's why we have all these wonderful artifacts. And the last thing I'd like to leave you with, the one thing that you've got to understand is Walt was the talent, but Roy was the money. And they worked wonderfully together. When Walt built Disneyland in California, he named it short and sweet Disneyland after the whole family. When he planned the parks in Florida, if he had lived to see them being built, he would have named them Disney World. There's four parks in Florida. Magic Kingdom, Epcot, Hollywood Studios, and Animal Kingdom. He would have named it Disney World. People look at me and they say, well, that's what it's called. No, it isn't. That's what you call it, because we shorten everything up. The real name of the parks in Florida is Walt Disney World. Everything's WDW, WDW, WDW. And of course, obviously, the point was that was uh, Roy's doing, and it was his tribute to his brother. That's my story. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome to look in here. I don't know if there'll be another tour starting, but if there is, we'll just have to be quiet because we do it all over again. <clears throat> and then the rest of the museum is wonderful. You're in for a real treat. And uh, that 100th birthday was the beginning of Toon Fest, wasn't it? No. Oh, that Fest, wasn't this is the 18th Toon Fest. The 18th of it. Okay. Because yeah. somebody had asked me that question. I've been here for the last seven years. So. All right. So now we are on the old Disney property. Uh, what's your all's overall impressions? You've now after the museum and you're getting to see everything around town. Well, it definitely brings the magic closer to home because speaking with people that have actually been with Disney and witnessed Disney firsthand, you know, it makes it that much more special and magical knowing that, yes, we've been to the Disney parks, but now you've spoken with people who have lived it and it makes it just feel like you've experienced it in a whole different light that you would have never experienced if you hadn't spoken to somebody who was there firsthand and experienced it. Yep, that's part of the magic of Marceline. It's especially coming. Uh, but here it is, the Son of the Dreaming Tree. So the original tree was around here? Original or? tree. Uh, you kind of see where this they, they've put a fence up around yeah. it now. But it used to stand right there. I think you might be able to see some of the bark. I've got some pictures of myself with some of the leftovers before the leftovers even came down. 
So this was planted on Walt Disney's 104th birthday. Uh, yeah, I believe so. 2001. Yeah, oh, 2004. They when they knew that that no, no, tree was 103. When they knew when the uh, yeah when they knew the uh, the dreaming tree was going to put, they planted this one from uh, one. I think did they cut part of the tree to be able to do it, or so they used the seed. I don't remember. Uh, this tree is now going on 13 years old. Yep. Uh, so this area where it's fenced off, you see there's kind of some logs that kind of led around to it. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it was. Yeah, I think that log might be yeah, part is, of it. That is but, part uh, of the original tree. You can see the big, the, the big trunk oh my there. Gosh, that's huge. There's the tree. Well, the way they depicted it in the museum, it was like the tree was the only thing around here. Well, things have grown up. Things over have grown. The years. Yeah, that was yeah. that was a very long time ago. That was in the 50s where they had wow. Roy and Walt standing out there by the tree, and nobody knew about the dreaming tree until they came here and said. And Walt said, "Here it was. This was my dreaming tree." And everybody's like, "What? What?" <laughs> and so all the stuff you hear about, it was from one of their visits here. In that picture. I wonder it's right kind of right in there you can oh, okay. kind of see where it was all the growth is really hidden it yeah it's really kind of grown but they've mowed off a good path and there's some really cool stuff up ahead as we go well it's just fascinating to realize as well that it was such an inspiration to him to mm -hmm. where the tree of life and the lion king and then at the animal kingdom was that whole dreaming tree concept that yeah. meant nothing to me until today i mean it was special but it wasn't mm -hmm. It didn't have the same meaning it has today, knowing how much it meant to Walt to really yeah. put that into his... Into ah, his the sounds of nature forest. out here, even. And, I mean, of course, that tree was built years after Walt passed, but it was the inspiration that sparked that. Yeah, there's some very interesting signs here. I really like that quote there. To tell the truth, more things of importance happen to me in Marceline than they have happened to me since or are likely to in the future. Oh, that's not ragweed? No. <laughs> I thought it looked like ragweed. Ah, but here we go. So dear to my heart. Uh, yeah, I guess it was set around a barn, but they're basically just building up to all the things that came from. Although this is a, they rebuilt the barn around here. Hey, software butterfly. So dear to my heart was actually designed on part of Walt's childhood? Yeah. Wow. Walt's barn. That's always been one of my favorite movies. The, the different flowers around here that grow wild. Wow. We don't have the real Yeah, that's one of the nice things when you travel places. You get to see different kind of plants and things <coughs> like that. Different birds, even. But So this is not wow. the original barn that was on the property, but it is a completely rebuilt barn. Which I'm going to get a photo of. But this is where, you know, they talked about he used to do a circle in the barn. Yeah. This is what they're talking about. It was like a barn just like this. Yeah, I've got a photo of the barn and you two walking into it. Now, normally there's like a Sharpie. And uh, as you see, everyone who's visited here whoop, writes their name. Now, a few notable things. If we walk over this way. There we go. WTTM was here. That's Window to the Magic. Uh, that wasn't Paul Berry. That was, I think, Jeremiah Good. Or, no, maybe not him. Maybe it was uh, one of the other guys. But, you know, but they came here. I went and put, of course, the Neverland Podcast right next to it. So I've started keeping track of years that I've been here. Uh, 
I didn't get. I haven't gotten a mark every year because I don't always get a, a sharpie. That normally they're supposed to have a sharpie here, but I've gotten like from 2013, 2014. There's my wife's name right above mine. And uh, there are other places. Before I found this, I started writing my name near it. Uh, I, I've signed some other places I can never find. Wow. Uh, let's yeah, see. Where were some funny. other? Oh well, here's um. The artist who designed uh, Kim Possible drew Kim Possible on here and signed over here. There's a placard here. Yep. In celebration of a magical century. Yep, that September was 4th, 2001. 2001. Mm -hmm. And I think somewhere up here I did sign. Well, they used to have over in this corner, uh, but they, they ran out of room for people to sign, so they let people in there, but they had a little kind of kind of a cutout thing of Walt with an animal, like some sort of farm animal, and he's got like a little whip or whatever. Trying to, and then it had a little thing about his circus type of thing. A lot of Mickey renditions. Yeah, people try to draw Mickey. Um, I saw a thing, there's another one, WDW Radio. Uh, he's one of the bigger Disney podcasts. He's very much a travel podcast. I've listened to that one before. Uh, I just stumbled on it one day. Um, he's signed it somewhere. I know I saw it. all the way up to the top of the roof and signed. How did people get up there? They're acrobats. Yeah. They signed in good places, though. No one else is <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, this ink does tend to fade, as you even saw, you know, the, where I've signed before with a, with a Sharpie. It's even yeah. started to fade a bit. Um, Some people have actually think. posted their picture on the beams. Oh, uh, yep. Oh, I can't remember. I, I'm pretty sure it was somewhere on this wall that I saw. Yep, there it is. WDW Radio was here, 8-11-05. So, Lou Mangiello has been here. Uh, but I think those are, those are all ones I can remember of significant ones. But, of course, mine is the most significant, you know. And if there was a Sharpie, you should definitely sign a thing. And I would, I would just add another year. But uh, I've, I've been coming here since 2009, and I, but I've never signed all the same spot until I tried to coordinate to remember, all right, I'm going to sign here. But I started signing over there back in 2013 because that's when I started the show. Well, yep, so this is the barn. All righty. So impressions of the barn? It's pretty unique. Yeah. It definitely kind of brings back to the... Uh so dear to my heart movie, which I've never seen. <laughs> it is by far a classic. Yep. I don't remember the young man's name, but it has the young actor who eventually became the first voice of Peter Pan for the animated feature film. I don't know if I've ever walked all the way on this side of the path, but uh, I don't think there's really anything. I think there might be a pond over there. Alrighty. But this was it. So this was where Walt and Ruthie would come up here and he'd tell stories over by that tree. And he would draw little animals and stuff over by this tree. And this is the barn where he did his circuses. Well, considering that Walt says this was the one place that meant the most to him in his entire life, that's pretty amazing to be actually here walking technically in his footsteps and yep. witnessing the things he witnessed where the magic was originated as a boy. Yep. It's the same magic he tried to bring to the world. And a lot of the life lessons that he seemed to learn growing up as a boy as well from his parents yep. seemed to be kind of how he ended up inspiring his employees to be as well. Yep. So it all begins here. That's why I'm proud to be a Missourian. <laughs> Granted, he wasn't born here, but this is what formed him. You know. How many of us really remember those first four years of our lives? You know, in Chicago, and he said he didn't really remember Chicago. 
Uh, but here, he forged memories until he was about nine years old and they moved down to Kansas City. But, you know, you're talking about a massive city with concrete structures and cars all over yeah. versus nature and animals that inspired him to create mm -hmm. the feature films he made and, and look at all that these inspired the actors and <laughs> directors and producers and all the people that made the films long after his passing because they carried on his traditions. Yep. But this is what made him love nature and why he did conservation documentaries. Be careful of the spider web you're about to walk through. You, you dodged it just, <laughs> just in a second there. Was me. Oh. Well, I'm glad you were watching that too. <laughs> but it was, yeah, he almost walked into a spider web. Mm -hmm. So you could just imagine being a small boy if you were you know, growing up this and you had the freedom to just kind of do whatever and, and this was your was, playland. There wouldn't have been very much here. It would have just been their farm and probably right. nothing else for hundreds of miles. Some fields. That all his brothers would work in. Yeah. shade and think and dream. And mm hmm A lot of what he's made, even like Bambi and yeah. just all the stuff that was created, it makes so much more sense because of his love and fascination for animals and nature. And I never understood why Disney was into so many, you know, natural kind of, you know, kind of like Animal Planet type shows where they did nothing but like, you know, the lifespan of different animals and such. But because of his love from here in Marceline, mm -hmm. it just grew. And you can imagine, you know, the distance we are from Main Street, uh, considering, you know, they didn't have a car at the time. That'd be a good walk. That'd be a good walk. Especially since the school's beyond that. Yeah. Well, because, you know, it was too, you know, not until Ruth was starting school that he started school also to go to the park school. Uh, I don't think we saw the picture. I've never seen the picture at one point. Because, uh, you know, Walt Disney being a big, huge Peter fan, Peter Pan fan himself, he loved it. He just got to play Peter Pan in the park. That's fantastic. I love that. And they, they had a photo that talked about it in the museum. mimicked the voice and I started mimicking characters starting off with Marvin and kind of spawned that whole question of who did that voice and uh, we on some from there. Because you have to find the X-Wing space modulator. <laughs> <Exactly>. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for being on the show this week and for coming out all this way and I'm glad you learned some stuff and Absolutely. felt the magic of this place. Because this, this would have been a big bust if you got in there like, what's the big deal coming to this? Then I'd have been like, <laughs> how did I fail? Yes, you guys definitely kind of got the idea of this, yeah. how special this is. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, y'all, if you have not been to Marceline, you got to come out here, especially during Toon Fest. And look for me. I'm the Weird Guy in the Neverland podcaster. <laughs>